Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and my guest today is a chap I met in Close Encounters uh, comic shop in Northampton. Uh, welcome to the book club, Andrew Stringer. Oh hi, yeah, great, to, great to be here. Yeah, thanks, Simon. Well, we were uh, we'd both gone, I think, to the Steve Dillon exhibition at the Panel Gallery, hadn't we? We we had, and we were we were fighting over which which growl page we would have. I think both of us went for the. Uh, the Irish Judge uh, page, yeah, and then the I Emerald compromised. Isle cover, I think. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then I compromised to another. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't hard to find a second best one there, so uh, I can't remember what I compromised to. But yeah, it's, it's uh, interesting. It's great to see all that art there in one place. Yeah, we had a sort of virtual game in the Grail page uh, game in the art gallery uh, with Conrad from Space Spinner and Tony Esmond and Jeff Charhill, the bo- the owner there, who also owns. The Close Encounter Comic Shops, which is where we went to afterwards. Yep, yep, and I've since been to his store in Peterborough. Oh, right. And, uh, yes. and good fun. So it's not as large as Bedford, but it's great to have a little chain. And uh, and he also, if you remember, he got out some of his hidden pages as, from, from artwork as well, which was which is always good to see. Well, I mean, we'll just nemesis. say that was quite astonishing, wasn't it? Because he had a little desk and a little sort of curtained-off area behind the desk. And he yeah. literally, a bit like The Wizard of Oz, he drew back the curtain and started bringing out Kevin O'Neill Nemesis pages and uh, a Jack Kirby page, a Gil Kane page. It was astonishing, wasn't it? it? It was, it was. Although I'm learning that there's quite a few people like that. I went and bought a page from somebody a few months ago and uh, we, we were enjoying it, a cup of tea, then all of a sudden these other framed pages just appeared from nowhere and I'm thinking, well, okay, but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so there's there's lots of treasure chests out there, but uh, but yeah, one day there's going to be amazing uh, exhibition somewhere. So Andrew, I'm going to ask you to tell me about a, stra- a uh, slightly obscure to me British comic in a moment. But before we do that, let's start with the big 2000 AD comic and tell us your origin story of when you started reading comics and particularly the prog. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I thought about this, so I think it all goes back to my nanny Hope. And she bought me the, the Beano initially, and then my brother, younger brother, came along, so he got the dandy. So as as, as toddlers and youngsters, we both went to her house and, uh, and and read those two comics. So that gave us a firm foundation, and and I guess a love of comics. My brother's uh, similar; he's he's loving 2000 AD. He's more of a 2000 AD hardcore person. So for for me, it, it, it really kicked off those comics. Really kicked off a passion, I guess, for reading. And um, uh, me me growing up I was actually a kid with dyslexia. I found out later. Um, I managed to leave school with the struggling to spell left, left primary school rather struggling to spell, but the highest reading age of all the, of all the kids, which would be down to my reading of a variety of comics and probably world war two books, including Douglas Parker and stuff like that. So yeah, comics started with me Nan and the Beano. Right. And then, then I think I must've been eight. I've worked it out. I, I did get prog one, 2000 AD. So I convinced mum to get prog one. And I remember playing the space spinner, but, my, my loyalties returned to today's topic, really, and I didn't go back to 2000 AD for a while. I had a plan to get back to 2000 AD. We'll come on to that in a second. But, yeah, so I, 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 at the same, same time or just before, we, we had bullet launch in, I think, what, 76? So um, I, I, I ducked into 2000 AD just the once and then ducked back into bullet and then ultimately managed to convince my brother to migrate from the dandy to 2000 AD a good few years later. So I did, did have a plan. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I, I certainly saw 2000 AD, and I guess Strontium Dog would be my favourite uh, character there for a couple of reasons. But, yeah, just 
Strontium Dog was always amazing. Portrait of a Mutant, which I know you've discussed. Yes. was just fabulous. Okay, well, let's talk about today's comic. You've mentioned it already. Um, we're going to talk about a comic from the 70s that, as I say, I was unfamiliar with. Uh, not on my radar at all. Tell me what the, the, the comic you've chosen for us to sort of base our discussion around is. So it, it would be the, the, the new rough, tough action story paper for boys called Bullet, which uh, which launched in February 1976, and I've got issue one. So I would have been, I don't know quite how I managed to convince mum this, I would have been about seven, I guess, born in 69. So, uh, yeah, just, just sort of coming up for seven, seven and a half. But, uh, but yeah, I definitely don't. She didn't know what she was buying me at the time. And is that the actual issue one you had? You know, you had it the whole time? I've never thrown a comic out that I, <laughs> that I know of. So, uh, so, so I, I'd started getting earache off my dad to sort of get clear out the dad's loft, mum and dad's loft. Um, and so the comics have been slowly migrating to me here in Milton Keynes um, ever since. Um, I think that's another thing that makes me like milk, uh, sorry, Strontium Dog, of course, because I live in the Milton Keynes Mutant Ghetto. Right. Um, but, but anyway, that's a side story. Uh, yeah, so, so the comics have all migrated. So, so, uh, I did nab a load of my brother's 2000 ADs as well, but then he noticed we had them, me, me and my son were reading them, and he thought, oh, are they mine? So I said, oh, uh, yeah. So he's, he's, he's got those back. So I've got my bullets, my warlords, and my battles um, uh, up, upstairs. In there. Unfortunately, I, I did have a habit as a, as a bullet reader because some of the back pages of Bullet and Warlord were quite neat, so quite a few of them are in multiple pieces. But I had the foresight to stick the the poster pages back into the comic um when when i decided that the fighter jets on the wall comic fighter jets weren't, weren't for me anymore so um so yeah i've got a feral collection of, of bullet warlord and uh, and battles so all good so this is a dc thompson comic and strangely enough we seem to focus mostly on all the ipc comics when we cover british comics on this podcast in fact i don't think We've done much from DC Thompson at all. So this is Bullet, as you say, February 1976 until ran into 1978, 147 issues in total. And 147 you, issues, yep. yeah. yeah. And you've described it, as you say, the, what the cover tagline for the, uh, the first issue. What was it? The new rough, tough action story paper for boys. Yep, yep. And it had, had a car crashing through uh, the front page and, uh, and a pendant, I seem to remember. We'll come back to the pendant later. But yeah, with with the the, the center center star being, or, or the sort of the call out star being a a, a, a guy called Walter Fireball was the uh, was the sort of the, the core character who ran through every single episode. Right. We'll come back to Fireball in just a moment. Mm, yes, um, is this? I mean, from this era, then is this your favourite comic from this sort of mid to late seventies period? No, I guess in fairness, and especially some of the work that Paul Trimble's been doing on on Battle, I, I, you can't go wrong with, with with Battle and Johnny Red and, and and those things and Fighting Man. So I think think if you if you did ask me to to pick a pick a favourite, it probably would be Battle. But Bullet was just amazing at the time. Uh, it got me totally into comics and obviously a passion that stayed. So and as you said, a lot of these DC Tommy Thompson uh, stories are just totally lost now warlord crops up once or twice but but but, but as you said you'd, you'd missed I, I get the feeling you're, you're quite a you know your comics and, and it was a comic you'd miss so yeah, yeah i'm just trying to trying to rebalance the scale a little bit because um i mean everybody's got so much passion for all the um 
the IPC titles. And, and, and yeah, just 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 realign the, the, realign it a little bit if we can. <laughs> okay, and we'll we'll perhaps speculate towards the end of the podcast about why we don't get collections from DC Thompson. I don't think we'll, mm. we'll be able to answer that question, but yeah, okay. Um, so just to do a little bit of chronology, because uh, I was looking at this sort of mid seventies British comics. Uh, Warlord, I think, is starts in September seventy four. Battle Picture Weekly, which we know is a sort of IPC response to Warlord, is March 75. And then the one that interests me is that Bullet and Action both start in February 76, I think, exactly the same month. Yeah, it, um, it's, it's almost as if somebody was chatting to each other, wasn't it? Um... <laughs> it feels like that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Obviously, Warlord just came out just prior to Battle, I think. Um, and, and we'll come on to some of the people I've been chatting to, but I believe Warlord was was born out of the fact that um, all, all the, the most popular stories in, in Victor were all war stories. And and so they thought, okay, well, let's just, just put one just a war, war stories. So so Warlord Genesis came from sort of the, the, the war stories of Victor, I believe. Right. So, yeah. But, yeah, and that's the thing. Action gets all the attention because it was rough, tough, and stuff like this. And, and I reread... Reread Bullet just like a lot of us did through through COVID, and so, and, and, it, and it was it was flipping rough and it was flipping tough. And um, we had drugs, we had street fights, we had um, yeah, you definitely had a street fight. Probably most progs in in current speak, we had an OCG, an organised criminal gangs in, in most episodes. I even, uh, I've, as you know, I've, I've looked at the first hundred pages, hundred episodes, or first progs, just because of time. And in, in one of those ones, probably the most brutal scene. Was uh, was a police officer getting shot, murdered, with uh, with with a double barrel shotgun blast to the chest? So um, we also had a fear through drugs, several drug lords that fireball beat. Uh, we had soldiers being tortured, interrogated using truth drugs and needles. So so a lot of the stuff, and we also had loads of stories about ball stalls and um, yeah, as I said, there was street fighting, there was boxing. Uh, so a lot of the hard action that people talk about being in action yeah we had, we had a fair amount of that on our side uh, on the scottish side of the border i guess from bullet well if we think about those first hundred issues and the comparison that i'm going to make between bullet and action tell us give us an example of what sort of stories uh, bullet ran for those uh, you know in those early days yeah so i i've collated a sort of a little hit list so as we touched upon Fireball, so Fireball was the central character, and he appeared in every single episode, and, and on occasions he, he had also um, he had tellings of his early years. So he, he appeared uh, often, sometimes in two two episodes per series. We had a couple of future war stories. We had quite a few monster stories. We had, a, we had a, actually quite a low number of war stories, sort of just out and out war stories. Loads of loads of quite gritty crime stories. Always there was a, a, a ruthless uh, crime gang up to some no good. We had one or two horror stories, quite a few sport. They were really good at, at covering off sports stories. So this is uh, 76. We definitely had a load of series about the Olympics. Yeah. And I think some World Cups and football things even. There's one enhanced, it, it sort of reminds you of Mac 1, a sort of an enhanced human called Wonder Man who turns up and uh, he's, he's not... Well, I can't remember how he was enhanced, but he was enhanced. He could do everything really well. 
and, and his first series was all about him just being brilliant at sports in the UK. And then he went off to the Olympics in 76 um, and stuff. So they had a real mixture of stories, quite a few boxing, um, a couple of Borstal stories. And like I said, that's, that's just the first 100 episodes, 100 progs. And I noticed that in the sort of, if we talk about the sports stories for a moment, the um, the characters in sort of like, I guess, typical British boys' adventure comics, the characters often had a sort of unique feature that gave them an advantage, made them seem at <laughs> first to be, you know, too small for whatever, but they had a sort of unique advantage that gave them the, 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 that extra edge. There was always an element of underdog. I think we talked earlier about Twisty Lunnan. He was a wonder soccer player, but for whatever reason, he had a, call it a twist to his leg, so he wasn't didn't stand up straight, but he could score a, a goal or two every every match. Yeah, you had, you had, I think Kid Cox was a footballer who was a sort of a, a rebellious um, headband wearing, so I can't remember in the early 70s, it was too early for me in the football. There must have been a good few early 70s headband wearing uh, hard football players, but yeah, there was always, yeah, there was always, they, they always had their unique selling the USP or whatever, and uh, yeah, they, they, no. there was one called the Five Minute Wonder, whose uh, ability he, he wasn't the most athletic of uh, players with a with a big set of glasses, and um, and yeah, he could only manage five minutes of football out of the ninety minutes, and uh, you could guarantee at least a goal or two off of him as well. So. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, makes me think of, uh, I'm sure most rugby teams had a player called One Run. We had a player called One Run, <laughs> and I found out why he was called One Run. <laughs> he could do one astonishing thing, and then he would be knackered. That would be it. Um, there's Midge, <laughs> the super, the seven stone strongman, who's always been uh, underestimated by people because of his size and is incredibly strong. Yep, uh, he he's, yeah, fights his way through everything. He has quite a few bare-knuckle fights as well because somebody picks on him. So, And as you say, I also noticed that they've got their fair share of giant creatures features. There's a giant grizzly that uh, I see in some of the Fireball stories. Uh, there's a mechanical monster of the deep. Uh, what else is there? Massive beetles. They do oh, their sort of share of giant animals, don't they? We, we we yeah there was a, there was a, there was a whole series about a load of wolf mate were a load of wolves that were infected. We had uh, killer killer kangaroos. We had uh, yeah the, the 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 sort of the um, black sentries guarding sort of uh, Aztec uh, type temples. Yeah, there's quite a, again a real variety. And actually, when I reread it, probably the most special story. Was was all about Zed Z E double D the canoe uh, Superman who who lived in North Wales, and there was an isolated valley of of, uh, of, of Welshmen, right? <laughs> and and they hadn't they had they hadn't seen the outside world for two thousand years. So so that was amazing. Then one day he started canoeing down a river in a handmade canoe, and he was just the best canoeist ever. And it's like who on earth came up with the story of an isolated tribe of, of Welshmen? And one lad escaped to be a, a world class canoeist. It was it was amazing. Some of the some of the some of the stories they thought up. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'm going to ask you about three particular strips. You mentioned Fireball as the sort of main lead characters in every issue of Bullet. Um, just describe Fireball for us. Tell us a little bit about the character and his and also his unique his unique look. 
Uh, he, he's unique. I, I modelled some of my looks on him. So uh, <laughs> a, a big bit, no, if, if only, uh, a flowing black locks, uh, a flowing bushy moustache, uh, a, a, a shirt on that was always unbuttoned to his belly button with an amazing and special pendant um, that uh, that was quite special. Um, yeah, so, so Fireball was, was a, I mean, I guess these days I'd compare him to Magnum P.I. Um, yes. I think, think think I saw a thought of, of another name, but yeah, he was if ah oh, crikey, he he was a, a real action man. Drives fast cars. He had a few girlfriends actually, which are, when, when I've reread, uh, there was there was quite often a girl in there, and there, there was one particular cl- uh, crime family who had a, a, a an attractive uh, daughter, and he was often uh, being sort of foxed or outfoxing her. But yeah, Fireball was was the, the main star, and. Uh, he had an illustrious past, a little bit James Bond-esque. Yes, and he's related to another famous uh, DC Thompson character, isn't he? Yeah, well, related or he, he was adopted. It's certainly his parents were the best friends of Peter Flint, uh, Lord Peter Flint, and uh, his, his his parents were killed, died in an, an accident, which, which, guess what, wasn't an accident. Uh-huh. And... Uh, and after a few months on the, on the run as a, as a as a five year old, he's he's picked up and uh, and adopted and, and grown or, or basically is adopted as as Peter Flint's nephew. So uh, he quite often unk unk Peter quite often joins uh, joins in for a little bit of banter at the side of of a of a of an episode. And Peter Flint, Lord Peter Flint, is if I'm correct, he's the warlord character, isn't he? Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Peter Flint, Lord Peter Flint is is definitely Warlord from uh, from Warlord. So yes, same name. Yes, and he's you know Fireball is a remarkable sort of mixture of James Bond, uh, Jason, you know Peter Wingard as uh, Jason King, that sort of seventies moustache you've described, the Medallion Man look. Yeah, and he's. I, I don't know what would you describe him. He's just like a, a gentleman, adventurer, private eye, spy, all-round action hero, isn't he? Yeah, he, he was definitely working for the British government, um, and he had a, a sort of a, a handler called Pierce or Priest or something like that. In the same way that Kingpin used to be Warlord's uh, handler, so every every couple of episodes he'd get an, a sort of a he'd be on a government mission. Uh, and other times it'd be a sort of a mercenary, not mercenary actually, no, never a mercenary. He'd be an adventurer for hire, sometimes a stunt man, sometimes helping one of his uh, one of Uncle Peter Flint's friends. There was quite often a, a baddie Nazi sort of Germanic person, and, and it was the Klans, Klansberg family were his, his number one enemies, who had definitely had uh, some sort of Nazi type roots. But yeah, yeah, no, Fireball could drive, fly, fight do anything really and i'm looking at a cover that i've got of one of these issues in front of me from august 76 fireball is sliding down the the banisters of a stairs he's got the full flowing black locks as you say he's got the 70s uh mustache the zabata type mustache the uh, pendant the medallion or whatever it is is flying he's wearing a sort of one of those lined or edged vests that were common in the 70s he's got a pair of striped sort of loon trousers on and of course he's kicking two bad guys in the face as he slides down the banisters what was the deal don't we all <laughs> what was the deal with the pendant then the amulet um uh, yeah the, the, the pendant was uh, was was a family heirloom 
and ultimately I seem to recall it, it, it regularly opened vaults of, of uh, treasures, quite often Nazi treasure. Um, so quite how somebody got the Nazi treasure, put it into a vault that was sealed with his sort of family crest, I'm not sure. But uh, let, let's not dig too deep there. But yeah, no, it, it was uh, it was the the amulet that could open up the the, uh, uh, the you put it into the hieroglyphs or, or something, and it was a, it was a ball with a, with a flame around it. Um, so um, quite striking. I, I haven't got mine anymore, but I know on eBay there, there's quite a few of them out there. So um, if anybody fancies buying themselves a, a, a rather striking seventies pendant. That they're out there on eBay. They were giveaway gifts, were they? Oh, not giveaway! No, 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 no. You had to join the. I, I was an agent, a fiber agent. Oh no! All so, right. um, so, so you you had to pay for the pleasure. Although, as I as I reread all the comics recently again, just scanning over for this chat, the number of freebies they used to give away was quite phenomenal. Pendants. Um, sorry, this was a sort of a medallion pendant. Um, quite often they were giving away sort of uh, flag type pendants or watches or uh, or other fireable memorabilia or t-shirts. So there's uh, yeah, he did love that brand. Okay, um, a couple of other uh, strips that I'm less familiar with that you mentioned in your emails. Uh, one was called Frontline UK. I guess this. I mean, just a little bit more reason, obviously, why 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 bullet come back to me was I I was lucky enough to, to get a commission from Ian Kennedy. Actually, the commission followed by his book, The Art of Ian Kennedy, which has got some bullet pages in it. Um, and that, that gave me a kick to drop a line to Ian, who was just fabulous. And he did me a couple of little commissions. Um, and I, I've got one with a, with Smasher and a Harrier jump jet and another one that's just a, just a Harrier jump jet on its own. And um, I, I guess the, the reason I, uh, tragic reason I, I sort of, was drawn back to Frontline UK is that I knew that, that Ian Kennedy had drawn it. Uh, and at the time, it was definitely my favourite story. Uh, it, it was a, it was an invasion story uh, with Yellow Moon, the evil Yellow Moon, um, invading UK in, what, 1976? So a year or two before the Volgans invaded uh, the UK. But, yeah, the, the Yellow Moon were, were a nasty lot of characters they were quite happy to sort of uh shoot villagers or, or and stuff and and have hostages and and things so so the story frontline uk was all about one particular scorpion tank and it's three-man crew sergeant strong and his crew and and how they they effectively formed a british resistance for two 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 uh two sort of separate 16 episode runs right okay uh, so it was like a tank-based one then. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the main character. If there was four four men in the in the tank, the fourth character was definitely the Scorpion tank, which uh, which I then sort of uh, well, I, I just always enjoyed Scorpion tanks. Then went straight out and bought myself a Dinky Scorpion tank. Still got that as well. And uh, and yeah, so as as a as a seven eight year old at this point, you've got this this uh, tank crew driving around the country. Islands up in England, Scotland, Wales, um, just unstoppable, really. They had a secret base that was an old railway tunnel, and they'd dip in and out, release some POWs, and uh, fight for the freedom of Britain. Great stuff. Fantastic. So I'll ask you about um, a giant robot in a moment, but before that, you also mentioned a strip called Hitman? 
yeah, there was there was a, another strip that I, when I reread, I, I don't think I, I, I sort of, I don't think I quite noticed it as a, as a seven year old, and uh, and actually it's, it's a fabulous strip. It's all about a British Secret Service uh, agent um, uh, and a, a NATO general, General Ferris, um, and it's it's full on Day of the Jackal storyline, right? With uh, General Gen, General Ferris just. Uh, uh, complacent to to every threat that he faces, he, he can walk through anything, go anywhere. Um, where, whereas the Secret Service agent Jim uh, has run into the chameleon separately, so the chameleon being the hitman. And uh, yeah, it's the story of of the chameleon trying multiple times to to kill General Ferris uh, all around Europe. And, and it's just just fabulous artwork, really, really, really sort of strong uh, artwork, uh, quite violent. More than once, Jim gets blown up. Um, he gets thrown out of vans on the motorway and almost run over. Uh, multiple soldiers, standers, passers-by are killed by the chameleon. And uh, General Ferris just easily just sort of just avoids death at every turn. Every episode, General Ferris avoids a near death. And, and ultimately, as, as you might come as a surprise, uh, there's, a, there's a rooftop battle. Um, and, and the chameleon loses and is, is thrown to his death uh, in a in a quite a brutal fight between him and Jim. Jim, and then the general says, "Oh, you were right after all," and then gets back on his plane and, and flies off to his next mission. <laughs> right, <laughs> onwards to the next one. Okay, let's turn to what I'm guessing maybe one of your favourites. Then tell us about uh, Smasher. Um, yeah, well, Smasher was the was actually. The, the most reoccurring story, uh, Smasher was a, a giant robot, although in different pictures he's either sort of 20 foot tall or 50 foot tall. You can never, the scale sometimes comes and goes. But another bit of art uh, that was drawn by Ian Kennedy, so there's some Smasher pages in, in Ian's um, art of the Ian Kennedy book that if anybody wants to see it easily. And yeah, he was just a, a thuggish robot that, what, that was controlled by the evil Doctor Doom, who... Yeah, who, who not just that Doctor uh, Doom. <laughs> not that one. No, no. There's guess there's quite a few, I guess. But yeah, so um, there, there was two two British oil workers, Ferret and Red, and they they spent all their time after being the first people that ever came across Smasher as he as he smashed up a, an oil field um, and taking him on. They seemed to become the uh, de facto experts on how to take him out or, or fight him. And Smash is just amazing because he, 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 he literally goes from continent to continent. Doctor Doom's controlling him most of the time from a distance. And uh, every nation tries to destroy uh, Smasher with uh, – there's a couple of nukes. There's several lasers and um, an amazing uh, cylinder that's dumped over his head that gets red hot and, and explodes. But nothing can kill Smasher, not even the nuke. Um, at one stage, Doctor Doom moves into uh, the control panel. Actually, uh, stays inside Smasher as he as he causes chaos around the world. He caused at least two oil crises, which would have been um, top of everybody's mind in in the mid seventies. He tried to steal the gold out of Fort Knox more than once, quite successfully, and was only brought down by uh, we we borrowed. A, a, a laser, the, the blue laser, I think, from the Russians. And uh, we, we destroyed uh, 
we destroyed Smasher, and, and after after every every series, he sort of he fell to the doom, thinking he was dead. The the final page in, in about episode one hundred, um, he's he's melted in half. So I'm I'm thinking that's the last time we'll see him. Right. But he's a he's a fabulous fabulous character, giant giant uh, giant robot that could uh, just smash smash and smash a bit more. So one of the problems with DC Thompson and Bullet in particular, of course, is creator credits, that there are no creator mm. credits in these comics. But um, obviously with Smasher, we've got some instantly recognisable art by Ian Kennedy, haven't we? Yep, Ian Kennedy, definitely um, Smasher, uh, definitely Frontline UK. But some of the other um, artists are, 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 for me, harder to identify. Um, but there are, with, with very few exceptions, it's, it's just really, really fabulous. I've been lucky. There, there is a, a warlord site, a Facebook group, and, and, and a guy called Peter Clark has surfaced once or twice on that. And I, I think, I believe he was the editor that launched Bullet. Oh, right. And also also launched Warlord. And I know on one of the, the he put a little note on, um, a bit like some of the creators put on sort of some of the battle pages. Um, I sort of, oh, I, I did this. And, and he sort of, I think he was gobsmacked because within a couple of hours he had like 300 likes and uh, he, he was he was racing up the the sort of the the the, the features of uh, in facebook stats but yes yeah, so, so peter clark has has come forward as as the sort of editor of warlord and uh, invented fireball he invented the codes which which sort of every every agent had a code book that you could write like uh, halfway through that obviously fireball at one point um, asked agents not to use the codes when writing letters to him at the sort of the fireball agent's desk, which was always good fun. So uh, only only speak between each other's. Uh, and then then Peter mentioned uh, another guy, Bill Graham, right, as as a follow up editor um, that sort of took over around sort of the one hundred mark. So yeah, um, I also mentioned a guy called Mike Knowles. Again, I'm sorry, I don't know who. Who some of the who who their artwork? I know Carlos Carlos Cruz is mentioned, but yeah, so, so Peter was quite a, quite a, a, a sort of a he likes to answer questions. He, I don't think he's got a book in him anymore, right? But he, he sort of tries to answer as if we fire a question to him on the Warlord page. Uh, he tries to answer those as uh, uh, with a bit of passion, and, and he clearly uh, he pointed out once or twice on his replies that his years doing Bullet and Warlord were, were, were not work. They were just fun that he got paid for. And the Warlord group on Facebook is run by Simon Belmont, I believe, who, um, or at least he's one of the mods, I think, who's been on this podcast. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah I know the name, but I didn't realise he'd been there as well. There's also just re- just found a Fireball group as well, and the guy admitted that he wasn't a real Fireball, so I, so I thought thought that was coming. <laughs> uh, and so I asked him a few questions, and he was a bit, he's a bit evasive. Um but he did confirm. I think Smasher was his favourite. But yeah, so there's a few bullets, warlords, uh, sort of Facebook pages out there. That's that's always good fun for a bit of banter and a bit of uh, bit of fun. Especially especially it certainly helped me like a lot of people through the COVID uh, period. So uh, yeah. So a couple of other names I was able to identify. There was this chap Gary Fraser, who I guess must have been possibly a sub editor or something at the time, and went on to be an editor later on for other comics uh, and books. And he was apparently the slightly unwilling photo model for Fireball. 
So there are some actual oh, wow. okay. there are some actual photos <laughs> of him turn up occasionally on letters pages and so on, aren't there? Oh, without doubt, Fireball at the time was a real person. Yeah. Um, a, a, a bit like uh, I see Steve McManus has turned up once or twice, especially when he was in battle doing doing actual stunts and things like that. Yeah, there was definitely a, a, a Fireball who turned up driving real cars. There'd be a, every once in a while there'd be a photograph session of him with a with a TR7 and a Jaguar. I remember. Yeah. Um, so yeah, def- definitely a real person at the time. And the other couple of sort of sports artists I noticed, Tony Hardin, I think might have been the football artist on Twisty Lunnan, because I think he's also the artist possibly on Leave It to Lefty. Okay. It looks very similar in, in terms of football art. And then the other one I noticed was he sometimes does Midge, the Seven Stones strongman, but he also does Tasker who's a boxing yep. uh, story, and who's that called Alf Tasker. And I noted... Alf Tasker, yep. Yeah, I noted a, that the artist there is... I'm pretty sure it's the Alf Tupper artist, Pete Sutherland. Alf Tasker is not too dissimilar from Alf Tupper, in a way, as that sort of <laughs> put-upon underdog boxer. Uh, and I noticed in one of these comics, he actually ends up with the fish and chips at a newspaper, which was, of course the Alf Tupper signature mood. But I think that's Pete Sutherland doing that one, Andrew. Oh, wow, okay. That's brilliant to another another name. But yeah, the, the, the boxing stuff is, is amazing. There's, there's also a boxing uh, strip called the um, called Battling Benny. And, and uh, as I looked at that, it wasn't my thing. But the artwork is just so stunning. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe in due course somebody can identify Battling Benny for us. Well, if anybody knows of a resource that gives us the various credits on all of these bullet strips, uh, please let us know. We'll perhaps have to ask more questions on the Warlord group. Yes, I did ask a few more questions, but it's, it's more, uh, more more seven-year-old boys uh, that have grown up into 50-year-old blokes uh, on that group enjoying enjoying the, sort of, uh, their childhood again. So, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, does. You know, I'm flicking through these pages and there's some bits of artwork that stand out. As you say, I'm sure they've got some of the European artists in there as well doing sort of just like the regular weekly gig that they were so good at doing. And then probably Ian Kennedy that stands out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah there, there are some some quite, quite well, but basically the, all of those guys that have drawn for this comic are better than my artwork. But there's definitely some sort of top lead stuff. Um, so mind you, some of the stuff that I, I mentioned, that Wonder Man, that enhanced human in the Olympics, some of that art was 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 actually really lovely. Chris Batman Benny stands out for me. I, I've never liked um, the ones that are really dark, but Batman Benny was quite dark, but but just really crisp. So uh, yeah, first first hundred though, yeah, definitely Ian's work stands out for for Smasher would probably be my um, enhanced size. Just it's just every other episode had a either a tank or a jet fighter or a helicopter or a, or a naval ship attacking uh, attacking smasher unfortunately failing miserably um and normally getting sunk sunk smashed or knocked out of the sky uh in, in quick succession but um but yeah no ian's art would just stand out especially in that first hundred and maybe we can talk about the next next 60 50 odd episodes another time but yeah just Ian's art is, is, is just paramount. And, of course, you know, we've not had much chance to acknowledge the passing of Ian Kennedy, a legend of British comics art, 
passing away earlier this year at the age of 90. Uh, just a joy to uh, his art. He's so, so wonderful. He was always such a pleasure. Did you ever get a chance to meet him at any conventions? No, no, I've not, not really been to conventions. It was just uh, some chats sort of via third party and then just to see the sort of sketches and then the final versions um, and just the little notes that he sends with it all. Um, it's just, just, just really nice. And you can tell from all the articles and the, the videos you see of him how much fun he had doing it for so many years. So, uh, yeah, just, just uh, yeah, a life well lived and uh, he certainly enjoyed himself. And I just, it's such a, almost a shame. I think, I think I read somewhere that he only started going to conventions maybe 10 years ago and, and, and then got the adulation he deserved because a lot of these artists just never got the, um, never got the praise they, they deserve because that the art and all these comics is just amazing in quite short schedules. Uh, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I think in the last 10 years, as you say, Ian Kennedy, thank goodness, did. And I got a chance to meet him a couple of times at Thought Bubble and he was always, as I'm sure you've heard, such a delight, so enthusiastic, yeah. so cheerful, so kind and polite. And, of course, you sent me a picture earlier today. You've got a commission or two from him? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I started off just seeing his, his Art of Ian Kennedy book, and I thought, well, maybe I could have a Harrier attacking Smasher. And he, so he, he drew me a mock-up of that that was so good, I just thought, no, should we just keep that one and have a second one? So, so I've, got a, I've got a sort of a prelim of Smasher that I've sent you, and there's another one that's a sort of a, a Harrier, just a Harrier jump jet. My other favourite was Scorpion Tanks and Harrier jump jets, I guess, as a kid. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I got, a, got a picture of the, of the Harrier. And then I think the following one that he did for somebody else was absolutely amazing. I wish I'd have thought of it was a, was a Space 1999 Eagle that he drew for somebody. Oh, yes, I think I've seen commission. that, yeah. <laughs> but to be honest, you could look at every album he's drawn and think, oh, why didn't I get that one from him? And, and the next one, page, they followed the next week's commission that was published. Oh, why didn't I think of that one? So they're all, they're all amazing. Yeah. And, of course, the scripts for Smasher, I'm sure they were playing to Ian's strengths. Um, as you say, having fighter jets in many issues attacking Smasher or tanks or other military vehicles. Um, his forte, of course. Yeah, definitely. It was just, um, yeah, every time. And uh, he enjoyed showing them perfect before the battle and smashed up afterwards. <laughs> So, quick DC Thompson overview. Founded by David Cooper Thompson in 1905, based in Dundee, of course, the home of British comics now, as a result. Famous for Ur Willy, the Bruins, obviously the Beano and the Dandy, and Commando. Still going, of course, with the Beano and Commando. They're still coming out. Also, I guess, famous to us for particularly the 1970s battles for market share with IPC and as you've said already Andrew that the they must somebody must have been talking to each other about rough tough action stories for boys in February 1976 or just before then yeah yeah they're, they're, well like I said coming out the same week um with with a very similar I, I've, I've never actually what read much from from action um I have I have been enjoying one-eyed jack recently just i love john cooper's art so that's that's special but yeah i've never really read much from action so i can't compare the two but um 
for as, as rough and tough that I hear the action was, as I said, Bullet Bullet was quite rough and tough and uh, and full of action. And the issues that I've got in front of me are all 7P on the front cover. And, of course, action was yes. famously labelled by the press the seven-penny nightmare. And it got all the attention. It got all the TV, the news, possibly even, you know, the, the start of questions in the House of Parliament were told. Somehow or other, Bullet and DC Thompson managed to dodge that, despite, as you say, having, you know... Police officers being shot with a double-barrel shotgun, having drug storylines, all sorts of stuff going on. I've just, I, 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 we don't know the answer to this, but it just seems bizarre that DC Thompson and Bullet somehow dodged it. They literally dodged the bullet. They, they, they did dodge the bullet. Um, I, I get the feeling. As I said, I've never read action. I get the feeling the bullet stories were a little bit more toned down. Um, the, the, the. the there was often a, a bad guy that turned good, um, an underdog. Um, the, 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 the bloke at the, the centre of the story, and it was always a bloke, I'm afraid, um, was, was always either a good guy that got better or a, or a bloke in trouble that, that got out of trouble or, um, or a troubled person that, that became the hero. Um, and I get the feeling that some of the action stories – probably were just a little bit more focused. I don't know what the right word is, but yeah, a bit more brutal. But, but yeah, like I said, street fights, bare knuckle fights, double barrel shotguns, drugs, no sex, no no rock and roll, but uh, everything else was in bullet. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the other question that we don't really know the answer to is why DC Thompson don't really try for the reprint market that uh, Rebellion and the Treasury of British Comics is sort of doing pretty successfully as far as we can tell because if you're looking for Bullet you're basically going to have to hunt down issues on eBay like I did unless you've still got your originals like yourself Uh, and they were printed on classic 70s bog paper as well so you know they, 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 they show their wear and tear don't they they, they they definitely do show their age, so uh, so yeah. No, it's a shame. It's a real shame. There's some great stories there. There are, as I said, there are some dodgy ones as well, but um, but there's some, some great stories there that that um, that were worth review. And the, the other the other fun story that was the reoccurring character was was a was a guy called Solomon Knight, uh, who probably turned up in sort of maybe maybe fifty percent of episodes, but he was a one story. Almost like um, Tales of the Unexpected type character, who there'd be a be a, a strange story of vengeance or something like that. But uh, Solomon Knight was always good fun as well. So um, a, a collection of Solomon Knight stories would would go down quite well, I think. <laughs> right. Okay. It's a puzzle. I need to know more. I need to find out more about DC Thompson, particularly in the seventies, and what they're doing now and why they don't sort of go for the reprint stuff. Interesting. So Bullet from 1976-78, 147 issues. We've sort of flicked through some of the key stories and some of your favourites. Let's play the Grail Page game. Do you know, does any of this artwork turn up at all? I've not seen any of it anywhere. Right. So um, this is going to be quite hard work. But, um, but yeah, I think for me, if, if we want one page... 
because I've, I've looked at it and, and I've gone through the bits I've got. There, there's a fabulous page from um, The Hitman where, where the general just escapes a sort of a crosshairs um, shot and so the, the bloke behind him gets, uh, gets taken out. But I, I still love the first page, the page that made me buy the comic, which is a sort of a, 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 a sort of Aston Martin, red Aston Martin of, of sorts, smashing through a, a wall with bullet number one, the new rough, tough story for boys coming through with fireball driving is it's like red and martin so it's just a fabulous page fantastic well that will be the cover art for this very episode on the podcast uh so yeah the front page the cover of issue one of bullet becomes your grail page in the virtual gallery it's your um it's your nft as they say <laughs> um, <laughs> becomes yours andrew thank um, you thank you i'll uh... And I, I, I'm, always, I'm always greedy. I'll always ask for more. They're, they're, I think I've sent you one one page from the Hitman um, because somebody else, I'm sure, will find a, a smasher page where the, the Hitman is, uh, like I said, General Ferris just narrowly avoids. Uh, I think he trips and avoids the bullet. So it's just uh, just a, a cracking action shot. Right. Okay. Uh, so I, uh, maybe I can wangle that one as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. We'll give you that as well. And I will post these images when the episode comes out on all the socials as usual. And if you know more about Bullet, if you can identify creators for us, uh, if you can point us at an online resource that fills in all these details, then do let us know. Yeah, there's a big ask out for anybody to uh, to, to fill in the dot, dot, sort of dot the I's and cross the T's for, for the stories. Definitely, please. And I'm guessing there must be people who've done sort of bound collections of the original comics because that's the thing, obviously, that some people like to do. Um, you know, I've seen various collections of action and battle in 2000 AD like that. I should imagine there's some people with bound copies of Bullet. I, crikey, could well be, I guess. I've not seen any myself. But, um, but yeah, no, if, if anybody's got a full collection, like I said, my one were, were cut up in the 70s and, and posters were, were put on the wall for a, a good few years until I found uh, different interests. But, uh, yeah, I, quite quite a few Ian Kennedy montages would have been on my wall at the time. Uh, well, what an artist to have on your wall. I mean, if you're going to choose one, <laughs> he'd be the one, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah, I guess so, yeah. And you've also mentioned the Art of Ian Kennedy book, which I think is just over here behind my bookshelf at the moment. But that is just a wonderful book as well and a very fitting tribute to him. So lovely. Yeah, it's fabulous. And uh, like I said, that was the... Uh, kickstart just to just to contact Ian last year so uh, yeah brilliant book as we say you'll have to head to eBay and get yourself some copies of Bullet to see what we've been talking about because there are no collections uh, but yeah fascinating comic from the 70s that as I say I was not aware of uh, and I now have a Good. few issues <laughs> brilliant and I've got Fireball sliding down the banisters which I may post that image as well because that's just a marvel as well uh, he's a superstar and maybe a link uh, the one there's plenty of plenty of fireball pendants that are available on eBay, like uh, a warlord secret agent books and, and things like that. I'll, I'll try and find one of the guys posted his his, his, his pendant. So I think you should, uh, I think you should uh, share the pendant with people. Yeah, right. Okay. Very good. Very medallion man. Yeah. Excellent stuff, Andrew. Thank you so much for picking it and coming on to sort of educate me about it. It's been great. Um, another seven penny. Um, well, I won't say nightmare. Seven penny <laughs> dream from the mid seventies. Um, fantastic stuff. Did you have any guest projects of your own to mention at this point? 
No, no, I'm, uh, yeah, this is just, just the fun, this stuff. So maybe we can come and speak about the, if I, if I get time to run through the, the last 50 pages, that'd be good. Okay. But, uh, no, no, no project. But I, I think, I think I, what I would, uh, would just like to, to say thank you is just to people like Paul Trimble. Really enjoyed his battle exploits. That, that helped me get through like a We all found something to get through COVID. So, uh, so that's great. That's, that's introduced me to loads of great people. And another plug for another uh, a Northern Irishman, a guy called Mark McAllister, who uh, who I was chatting to, uh, and he he filled in my blanks for all of the uh, he, he he managed to send me his uh, his screenshots of, of a couple of Johnny Red pages that I'd missed. So I now know I, I gave up battle, I guess, uh, shortly after Battle Action Force, and uh, yeah, he filled in the blanks. So I now know what happened to Johnny Red, which was a uh, which, in honesty, was 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 troubling me for probably about thirty five years, forty years. What happened to Johnny Red? So I was great to discover that uh, he survived the war. So that was Mark McAllister, who was a, a star, helping me with that one. Excellent shout out to Mark McAllister and to Paul Trimble, who literally the day we recorded my episode with Paul, uh, where we review the Battle Action Special, is out today, uh, which we do without spoilers because I know you're still waiting on your copy. Yes, yeah, the postman has, has tried to deliver it yesterday, so Paul sent it, so he tried to deliver it yesterday, so I need to go and capture it from a, a post uh, office, sorting office somewhere. And check out the Battle Fans Facebook page and the Warlord Facebook page and ask some more questions about Fireball and this wonderful comic bullet. Yeah, that'd be grand, especially um, if you can find Peter Clark on there, maybe give him a high five for his work on Warlord um, and Bullet at the time, because... Uh, yeah, because they, they, they made all of us smile as kids in the 70s and 80s, didn't they? Great stuff. Thank you so much, Andrew, for giving up your time this evening to talk about Bullet. Brilliant. No, thanks a lot. And thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. As ever, follow on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and the 2000 AD forums uh, for details of when the episodes come out and also to see the arts that we've been talking about. Uh, email me mcbcpodcast at gmail.com if you want to come on the show and talk about a comic or a book of your own and find all the details at megacitybookclub.com so until next time when we're passing judgment on another great book it's a goodbye from me and definitely a goodbye from me as well thanks all (laughs) 